Well, church, let me invite you to open your Bibles if you would like. I think you'll be aided if you do to John chapter 12 this evening. Um, just a, a brief word uh, tonight from a few passages from John 12 uh, before we come uh, before the Lord and take the supper meal before us. I wonder, um, as you're finding your way to John 12, when, when you sing these songs and you hear these scriptures read for us, how is it that God would have us respond? What are you thinking in light of what we've already considered this evening? I think a lot of people, especially this time of year, when they think about the death of Jesus, they, they, they largely feel sad, and, and they think about all the terrible things that happened to wonderful Jesus, and we, we feel sorry for him, and, and, and therefore, since I'm sorry for Jesus, I want to do something nice for Jesus, and, and so may, I know Jesus has a church, and so maybe I should go to, go to his church, and that will make Jesus happy. That will please Jesus, and I, I want to do nice things for Jesus in light of all the bad things that happened to him, and, and please him, and maybe if I please him enough, he'll... he'll take me into heaven when, when I die. I think quite often that we respond to the crucifixion of Jesus with sentiment that leads to moralism. I feel sad, therefore I should do some good things. I'll do nice things for Jesus. Now it is sad, isn't it? I feel sad tonight. This, this, is, this is hard for me to to remember, I, uh, I think sadness is, is appropriate. But my question is, is, should all we see in the cross is tragedy? Should all we see is injustice? Is the primary response that God would draw from us at this point one of sadness? So that's the question that's going to drive our time in John 12. What should we see when we look at the cross? And I think there are a hundred different ways to answer that question. Let me give you one this evening from the mouth of Jesus in John chapter 12. Verse 23, uh, Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now look at verse 27. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this very purpose I have come to this hour Father, glorify your name. So Jesus is aware something's about to happen to him. He's talking about this hour that has come. I would suggest to you that the hour that has come is a reference to Jesus' crucifixion. In fact, you look down at verse 32. It says, and when I am lifted up from the earth, I will, will draw all people to myself. He said this, here's the commentary, to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So he's, when he's talking about the hours here, he's talking about his death. We read in John's gospel a number of times when, when uh, we, we come across phrases, they tried to lay hands on him, but they could not because his hour had not come. Right? So we keep hearing the hour's not here, the hour's not here. And then finally now we're in John 12 and Jesus says, okay, here's the hour. It's the hour of my crucifixion. So when Jesus now is thinking, we know he's thinking about the crucifixion, what does Jesus see when he looks at the crucifixion? Well, you see it there in verse 23. The hour has come for what? For the Son of Man to be glorified. And then in 27 verse 28, he says, the, the hour is here, Father, what? 
glorify your name. Now notice Jesus doesn't say, Father, the hours come, make people feel sad about me. Make them feel really sorry for what I'm about to encounter. No, he says, the hour has come. Let them see your glory. My question is, do you see it? Did you see it? Are you seeing it right now? Like tonight when we heard the crucifixion events, were you thinking glory? There is glory here. Was that Was that what your heart was saying? Because when Jesus thinks about the cross, that's what he's thinking. Now you might say, I don't know. Pastor, I don't know if I saw glory. Well, let let me help you, okay? What What does Jesus mean when he says glory? The Bible uses the word glory all the time. What does it mean? Well, glory in the Hebrew just simply means weight, weight. And so we could think of weight in like a physical sense and it it has that word. So the word kabod, it means something's heavy, but we also, there's a nuance to that. It's just not a physical weight, weightiness, right? When we use the word weight in, in, in English, we also talk, we can talk about something that's heavy, right? Physical weight. Or we can talk about something that, that, that has an impact upon us, something that's significant, something that's, that, that, that is important to us. We use the English word matter in the same way. Something has matter, it has physical, physical weight, right? But, it, but we use it in another sense that this is something that is significant. This is something that is important. This matters to us. So when the Bible uses the word glory, in particular in reference to God, what the Bible is telling us is that we should see how significant God is. How important he is. How wonderful he is. How incredible. We should have a sense of weightiness upon us when we're, we're thinking about God. When we, when we see God's glory, he, we reckon him to be important and to be significant. Indeed, to become the center of our very lives. So when we say, I, I hope you see glory, don't think, okay, bright, shining light that drops me to my knees and I think, oh, I saw the glory of God. I mean, that might be a way to see the glory, but that's not the typical way to see the glory. When we see glory, when we understand glory is when we feel the weightiness of God in our life. When we feel the significance, when we're aware, increasingly so, of the importance of God in our life. In particular, as the Christian wants to drive to this point where God is by far the weightiest thing in our life, the most important thing in our life. So, so imagine if, if you invited me over for, for lunch tomorrow and I, I was in your house and, and uh, as I'm on the way to the kitchen table, I walk by a painting in the hallway and I stop and look at this painting. And, and I say to you, uh, I don't know if you realize that, but that's a Rembrandt. And uh, I know about four museums that would give about $10 million for, for that. Right? Now, now, now we're, we are what? We are recognizing the importance of this picture. You see? We see the significance. We thought it was one thing. We thought it was a nice picture to hang in the, in the hallway. But now we recognize, okay, this is far more valuable. This is far more important. Would that, at, what's, at that point, would you now change how you treat the picture? If you're me, it would, be, it would be sold, right? Like tomorrow, right? I like paintings, but hey, you know, millions of bucks, right? Off it goes. But maybe, maybe you want to keep it in the family, but I guarantee you ain't keeping it in the hallway anymore. People walk by and kids to run their fingers across, right? You begin to treat it differently, right? 
Well, this, this, this is what Christians do. We understand God's glory and we begin to treat him differently. Right? So the, the, if you want, like, the diff, what's the difference between like a, a, a religious person and a Christian? Okay? Here's one way to understand it. A religious person thinks God's important, but, but he's kind of something they add on to, into their life amongst a bunch of other important things. So I got a lot of important things. God's one of them. And God kind of hangs out and he's there to enrich my life and make my life wonderful and, and, and all the rest. But he, uh, amongst all the important things, he, he's one of them. The Christian begins to have a sense of God's import, his, his substance, that we begin to orient our life uh, around him. We begin to center everything around them. This is why the Bible says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. Even the smallest things, eating and drinking, has something to do with the glory of God. And, and, and life begins to just kind of circle around God like God is the sun and we're the earth and we begin to orbit around him. And everything we do with our, our, our possessions and our politics and our, our thought life and our money and our time and all of that, we now begin to think in reference to God. He becomes the center. That's, that's what it means to see the glory of God. Have you seen it? Do, do you feel, even as we, we consider these passages, do you feel God pulling you? Do you feel a pull on you, a, a weightiness on you? Right? That you're, you're experiencing God's glory, if you will. He's drawing you. Have you seen his, do you understand his significance? Let me tell you, uh, let me tell you, you need to. In fact, I, I wonder if this is one of the most important things in your life to understand the glory of God. That's what it is. Let me tell you why, why you need to see it. I understand that many people stumble uh, when we talk about God's glory. Um, they stumble because they think, why is God so full of himself? Right? Why is God always saying in the Bible, aren't I wonderful? Right? Aren't I incredible? You see what I could do? Why is God always flexing, right? As my teenage son would have said, right? We don't like people like that. You like people like that? Hey, look at me. Aren't I great? I mean, you can imagine you go on a date with somebody and they, you know, five minutes into the date, they're like, well, you know, enough talk about you. Let's start talking about me, right? Don't you think I'm wonderful? Aren't I incredible? Aren't I amazing? What, what would you do? You would say, you know, it's very nice to meet you. I'll call you. You don't need to call me, right? I mean, you're on, you don't like people like that. So why is God constantly seem to be focused on himself and drawing our attention into himself? Why does, why does Jesus say, we're going to the cross, let them see your majesty, your weight, your significance? Why? Because God loves you. That's why. Because he loves you. And the best thing that God could ever do for you is not to exalt you but to exalt himself and let you understand the weightiness on you. Let me tell you, if I told you the Rembrandt in your hallway is worth $10 million, are you thinking of the Rembrandt? Rembrandt, why are you so arrogant, right? Well, you know, why do you, why you think you're something important? No, you, you don't think of it in those terms. In fact, if you don't recognize the value of the painting in your hallway, you lose. It's only in recognizing its significance that you begin to gain. Well, the same is true with God. Right? God, God is beckoning you, don't you see, to orbit your life around him, to, to understand how important he is because he loves you and he wants good for you. The reality is, is that you are going to give significance to something in your life. 
there's going to be something that your life is going to orbit around or some things that your life is going to orbit around. You're going to give glory to something in your life. It might be your relationships. It might be your bank account. It might be your success. It might be how many likes you get on Facebook. I, I, it might, might be your, your athletic performance, right? It, it might be all these things. It might be your ease and your comfort. And we begin to orient our lives around these things. Well, what happens when those things are threatened? What happens when those things, what happens if you lose the job or you get sick? Well, you, you know what happens when you've lived this life. You get filled with fear and anxiety and worry and greed and covetousness and discontentment because these things aren't, aren't big enough, strong enough to hold the weight in which you're putting, putting on them. And what, what we need to do, what God is saying is you need to understand my glory. You need to recognize my value so that you stop orbiting around these things. You stop, you stop orbiting around your dress size and your bank account, and your social media likes, right? Because these things are important. These things are far less weighty compared to God. And what, what, what happens when, this, when we begin to understand the, the, the importance of God in our life, the glory, see the glory of God? Well, we begin to feel less afraid, don't we? Right? We, we feel less anxious and less angry and less discontent. We become unflappable. We find like a, there's an indomitable joy in my life. There is an unconquerable peace. Why? Because God matters more than anything. Like what if I told you the picture on the wall is not, it's actually not worth 10 million, it's worth a billion. That's just this fantasy. We're on, the, on this road anyway. It's just a billion dollar picture, okay? So you got a billion dollars. What happens now if you lose 100 bucks? Right? You think when Elon Musk loses 100 bucks, it ruins his day? No, care less. What happens if you find 100 bucks? Right? All right, whatever. It, does, it, doesn't, it doesn't rob your joy. It doesn't give you joy because you, your joy is found somewhere else. Well, Christian, don't you see you have the billion dollars? Far more than that. You're a princess. You're a prince. You are a child of God. You are going to live forever in a place Jesus calls paradise where Christ is king, where there'll be no more sin and sorrow, and it is your inheritance. I mean, a billion dollars ain't anything compared to what he's given you. So why then are you so troubled? Why, why then is peace so fleeting? Because we're not giving God the glory that he's due. But if we understand what we have in God, if you praise me, okay, that's cool, but it ain't gonna blow up my head, right? If, you, if, if someone doesn't like me, okay, that's unpleasant, but it's not gonna rob my joy. You know, all these, little, all these trials in life, they're mosquito bites. I mean, they're annoying, but they're not going to destroy me. They're red lights. They're not going to ruin my life. It's like uh, uh, getting, getting in the drive through behind the Carn family, okay? Is that annoying? Yeah, okay? Is that going to ruin your life? No. Is that going to ruin your day? No. This is why Paul, who could say, uh, of all the troubles he's experiencing, these are light, momentary afflictions compared to what? The eternal weight of glory, right? What, what are light momentary afflictions? Prison. Right. Being beaten. This is why the man can be, have a lacerated back and his feet in stocks thrown into a Philippian dungeon and he could praise God without even trying. Because God has, he, he's a billionaire and all he's done is lost 100 bucks compared to the, 
greatness of God. You see how, how much God wants to love you by you seeing how incredible he is. But so often what we do is we don't see God. We go to God's like a, like a, like a medicine chest that we go him to fix our ailments or he's a cosmic pinata and we hit him with a stick called prayer in order for him to pay out for us and we get our little candies and our little trinkets, right? And, and no, no, no. We don't go to God just to, to receive. Give me, give me, give me, give me. I hope he pays out. We go to God to give. Give what? Give glory. Give adoration. Give praise. Give love. And what happens? happens, well, then peace starts to flood in your life. And joy, because God becomes this stabilizing weight in our life. And the temptations that besiege us, they don't pull on us like they used to. You think when, like, when the earth is rotating around the sun and orbiting around the sun and the meteor flies by, the earth is thinking, maybe I should chase the meteor? Right? No, it doesn't have the weight. Nor will the temptations in your life have the weight to pull you away from God. To the degree in which you see his glory. You see how important that is? Say, okay, well, well I want to see it. Well, this, you, you, of course, the question that is like, where, where do we find it? Where do we see it? Okay. And, of course, we see it, according to Jesus, primarily in the cross. It's in the cross. Verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. You want to see his glory? Look to the cross. You say, what about the Grand Canyon? What about the mountains? What about the beach? Well, those are good, too. But those, that's, they're like the moon. It's a reflection. The cross is the blazing sun of the glory of God. Right? If we're in the cross, we see his manifold perfections, his wisdom, his power, his sovereignty, his might, his love, his mercy, his justice, his holiness, and on and on. It's all found in the cross. And we could think about all these different aspects of God's majesty and his weightiness by looking at Let me just, let's just think about one tonight. According to John 12, verse 27, Jesus says here, now my soul is troubled. I'm troubled. Jesus usually doesn't talk about this, but now he's saying my soul's troubled. Why is he troubled? Because we know, as we've heard and we sung, all that he's going to endure. But even beyond that, he's going to bear our sin. He's going to take the punishment that is due for you. Christian upon himself. He's going to be separated from the Father. He's going to pray, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's going to be forsaken because of our sin as he dies as our substitute. Jesus is going to experience hell. That is the wrath of God. So you don't have to. And he's thinking about this. And what does he say? I'm troubled. I'm troubled. So if he's troubled, we might think, well, then you should probably pray Father, save me from this hour. In fact, he asked that. I'm troubled, therefore. What does he say in verse 27? Should I therefore pray, Father, save me from this hour? No. For this very purpose I have come to this hour. What's the purpose? To die for you. To, to pay for your sins so that he might have you. Jesus wants you that much. I've come for this reason, to get you. Don't you realize, Christian, how much you matter to the one who matters most? Why then should these things in our life begin to rob us of what God wants for us? Why, why would we let them buffet? The, the cross is the transcendent beauty of this perfect son of God dying for sinners. And Jesus said, that's 
where the glory's seen. Now, here's the thing. We're, we're done. Here's, here's my last exhortation. You have to glory in it. That doesn't come passively. That doesn't come easy. That doesn't come accidentally. You have to intentionally glory, find glory in the cross of Christ because there's a hundred billion things in this world that is calling to you, even maybe right now, glory in me, glory in me over here, glory in the new couch, glory in the, in the, you know, the leather pants or whatever you're into, right? Glory, glory in this, glory in that, don't you want this? And, and it, they're pulling on you and you're constantly being pilled a hundred different ways with counterfeits and we have to therefore intentionally keep Keep going back to the cross and saying, I want to see glory. That we might even pray the prayer. What did, what did Jesus pray? Father, glorify your name, right? You could pray that in your heart right now. I, I can't see the glory. I haven't seen the glory tonight. Pray like Jesus then. Father, glorify your name. And what, what's the answer? A voice came from heaven saying, I have glorified it and I will glorify it. I want to see the glory, I want to understand who you are. And if you do, I, I trust your, your life will change to the degree in which you glorify God. It will change. And I pray that we would take a step in that direction. Of course, some of you here are, are not yet Christians. And we're so delighted that you're here tonight and to hear our worship and to hear our scripture read and hear a short sermon preached our hope and prayer, our invitation to you tonight is that God would drop the scales from your eyes, that you would begin to see, okay, Jesus Christ is who he says he is, and this is the glorious thing I've ever seen, that you would see glory in it, and that therefore, even now as I preach, you would pray in your heart, God, I am, I am bankrupt before you. I, I, I don't bring anything to commend myself, but I see that Jesus was willing to die for someone like me and so I yield my life to you in faith. May God let you begin to see that glory. Christian, of course, you know that he has, he, he died because you're a sinner, as am I. And so tonight, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, may we remind ourselves of our sin and seek his mercy anew as we read responsively together. You guys will pull that on the screen. That'd be great. Thank you.